All right, guys, welcome back. This is episode three of FR Locked Podcast. We got a little bit different uh, today because it's been mostly Toyota Talk the last couple episodes, which it will be kind of Toyota Talk this episode. Again, as always, we have Stephen here, hey. and our guest today is uh, Tyler Davis, who came or had an FJ and went through a transition process um, to a uh, JK. And we're going to talk to him. It's a like a transgender thing. It's kind of a little bit, I think. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. sure. When he got his uh, JK, I posted on Instagram a picture of the three of us in our FJs at Moab, me, him, and uh, our buddy Mark. And I was like, we lost a good one that made it sound like he died. And then I just said at the end, he switched to a Jeep. And huh. I got a few messages from people that are like, that's fucked up. I thought he died. I was like, well, he kind of did. <laughs> yeah, some, he lost his soul. I saw that before I did. And they were like, hey, are you okay? I heard you got hurt in Moab. And I have no idea what's going on. So anyway, before we get too far into it, Tyler, tell us a little bit about you yourself. What do you do for work? You know, I know everything about you, but Steven doesn't know you, obviously. Nope. Yeah, so I live in a Salt Lake City. Um, I work for a company called Integrated Engineering. I do uh, media and advertising, but we build a high-performance race car parts for Volkswagen Audi stuff. And... Uh, I was always kind of a gearhead, and I was building race cars for a long time, which actually eventually led into uh, off-roading stuff. So that's kind of where the like race cars. What kind of race cars? Uh, Audis, Volkswagens, everything from like drag race stuff, track race stuff. We've actually got a really oh, nice wow. racetrack in Utah here as well. That's pretty cool. But, uh, yeah, car stuff. You just can't. You can build a fast car. And uh, you can't legally play with it and go like track racing and drag racing and stuff like that. It gets really expensive just to even go to track. You have to pay everything from getting classified, getting safety tech stuff done, and then pay for your lot day. And, you know, if it rains out or bad weather, then you're done. But off-roading is so great because you can build that and then it's just go out in the land and you do it legally and you're not going to get harassed. Exactly. Yeah, that's pretty rad. That's the best part about off-road is you get so much freedom to do whatever. And you could take your all your experience in that racing history and put it out into off-road. And now you have a go-fast off-road vehicle. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's definitely slow. <laughs> what kind of uh, trans, like what kind of stuff did you carry over from the, I mean, obviously it's, you know, a similar world, but stuff's completely different from going fast. But I'm like suspension quality and you know perform and all of your performance parts whatever it be or come down to like gearing and lockers and all that it's all it's not similar but it's similar in a way obviously yeah you're right it's uh like two different sides of the same coin right so a lot of the stuff that's really important in track racing or in building a car even if it's a street car i know that your girlfriend is uh like dressed up with her toyota right yeah lexus but yeah same thing lexus and it's kind of the same thing. You're taking the parts that are really important to get the job done, and that's where you're going to spend the money. Same kind of thing in off-roading, I think. And in both racing and off-roading, there is people that put stuff on their vehicle for looks and uh, spend too much money when on stuff they don't need. Uh, yeah, that's a cool parallel, <laughs> too. It's like, especially in the Jeep scene, man. It's crazy because you have uh, so many people that really have no interest in driving a solid axle vehicle on anything off pavement 
and they're more interested in installing like uh, headlights or 24 inch wheels and being reveals and stuff like that. And I think it's huge in the Jeep world, much larger than I thought. Uh, the grubbers. Into <laughs> yeah. like all that kind of stuff. You know, if that's what you're Probably. into or whatever, just me any. But I guess you can draw that Something. same parallel to parts when you have like Subaru and Volkswagen kids and stuff like that that are more interested in slamming them and putting big camber on it. And again, yeah, it's not my scene, but if that's what you're into, then there's markets for both. I had no idea how big the uh, Jeep scene was before I got in it, and uh, really didn't realize the major disconnect of uh, how many more people are really just into stickers and grills and stuff on them and off-roading them. And I, you know, living in Utah, Jeeps are huge in Moab. You go to Moab and they're everywhere, and that's uh, pretty much the only kind of Jeep I really knew of before. Hey, Tyler, when you talk, I'm trying to get close to the microphone. You're starting to cut out a little bit on volume. Oh, sorry. How's that? Yeah, that's better. Right. Definitely. It's like it's slowly nice. fading. <laughs> well, well, don't that. be afraid. Stephen doesn't bite, and he can't really through a microphone, even though he's tried a few times. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is. It does seem funny. Like It's like a lot of the Jeep world that you see, like if you took like, the actual people that wheel Toyotas and the actual people that wheel Jeeps, it's probably a real similar number of people. Obviously, you're going to have more Jeep guys, but versus mm -hmm. the people that, you know, don't wheel or off-road at all, like it's probably a similar, I don't know how many Jeeps I see that are just, you know, either stock and driven around by soccer moms. And it's like, not exactly sure why you got that or like a fully loaded Rubicon on like 33s with like 20 inch rims. It's like, hmm. Uh, the doors come off and the top comes off and I guess right. that's, yeah. yeah it's cool I mean you I can, if you wanted to you can take a stock Jeep and you can do a lot of pretty hard trails in a stock Jeep right or stock Toyota you're not gonna go do much right yeah I think you you're right you can uh, go pick up a brand new Rubicon and get yourself in a lot of trouble yeah, yeah you sure. can literally take a stock Rubicon and you can do the Rubicon trail oh yeah where you can't do that in a stock Toyota, or at least not very easily without a ton of issues. <laughs> I was recently told uh, that rooftop tents do not make vehicles more top heavy because his truck is long travel and it's wider. Um, I saw that. <laughs> which, yes, it does make it more stable. It does not mean it's less top heavy. Um, yeah, it's still the same amount of weight up top. I mean, it's, you're still adding yeah. more weight up top, but the long travel, yeah, it does compensate for being wider i mean it, it kind of distributes right. it but nevertheless that was kind of a funny comment yeah anyway so tyler you came from your fj what are some things that you liked about your fj um versus the jeep and then we'll go obviously the other way too yeah i mean the fj was definitely a much more comfortable vehicle to drive on the road for sure so um I had a 2007 FJ. I didn't have long travel on it. I had a nice little coilovers and uh, metal techs, what they call long travel in the rear. And it was a fun vehicle to really, you know, opened up my world into rock crawling and off-roading. Um, but yeah, it was a lot more comfortable to drive on the road, especially at speed to and from Moab. You know, I could do that thing like 85, 90, no problem. Uh, we have 80 mile an hour highways in Utah. And then we have, uh, when you're going down like, access roads so trying to get to camp or something you could drive them a lot faster that independence 
suspension would handle those bumps and stuff a lot quicker, which is pretty cool. Um, Toyota stuff, for sure. Have you noticed a lot of reliability difference? I know when we talk, you complain about stuff all the time, and then I always hit back with like, yeah, I deal with the same shit, so <laughs> whatever. But like, yeah. I know when you bought your JK that it had you know, you were buying it and hoping it was more ready to go. Um, and then you had to fix a lot of stuff. So obviously second from that or ignoring that, because obviously that's not necessarily a reliability issue with aftermarket parts, but like more like drivetrain, electrical, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I definitely had too many problems with the Jeep as far as problems on the like factory Jeep parts. Everything I've mostly experienced has been aftermarket stuff. Uh, that's gone wrong. And I think that's part of the game. I mean, you do that with a Toyota, you take it to a certain place and you will it hard or you're going to break, you know, you're going to break shit and you oh, do yeah. that deep, you're going to break shit. And that's part of the game, right? Um, no, Toyotas I, don't uh, break. No, never. They don't have issues. Nope. We're um, bearings <laughs> on manual. Perfectly normal. Yep. <laughs> I've the, never uh, broken a CV. No. And the tie rods are bulletproof. Yep. Um, <laughs> But uh, I did have a transfer case that just like cracked, and not from hitting it or slamming our rocks or anything, because they've got. That was on your Toyota. Uh, this is on my my JK. So I did have a transfer case, a real expensive Rubicon. They're four to one transfer cases. It was not a cheap. Oh fit. shit! So it's not like uh, easy to find either. Go out. Yeah, no, I had to buy one from Mopar. That was the one. Th like I was still on a buddy with a JK. I was like, why don't you put? He has a. It's front. It's FR locked now, but it wasn't a. Rubicon, like he did everything, you know. He bought it with the intention of not wheeling it, and then now he wheels it. Uh, and he's got 60s and stuff under it, but he's still on a Sahara case or whatever. It's like, why don't you buy a Rubicon case? He's like, dude, they are so hard to find because everyone with a Rubicon has one, but they don't sell them, and so everyone wants to buy them for Saharas and stuff. So he's like, you have twice as many Jeeps out there that are trying to buy that same transfer case. So hmm. you almost have yeah, to buy it new at that point. Yeah, What's when I went through the transfer case of a Rubicon uh, case, I got a remand one. If you buy them brand new, I think they're like just south of right around forty five hundred bucks or something like that. Oh, so you go but Atlas at that point. If you really was, have to do that. Yeah, you'd be really there. And I mean, you can pick up a, an Atlas case for around the same price. So I you don't buy see a the point. Speed Atlas for that that price, <laughs> right? But yeah, I mean, it's a Jeep, so there's tons of aftermarket. You can get an Atlas II with everything you need, full bolt-in with the like center console piece that makes it look factory and everything, and bill of knobs and all the bolt-in stuff. I mean, you can buy a box directly from Atlas and just bolt it all in. It's like 4500 bucks or something like that. But they had a 12-week lead time, and I was uh, getting ready for the Rubicon Trail, and I really didn't have time to wait for an Atlas. And I ended up buying a Reman Mopar, which I think was around $2,000 after I returned it for. That was covered in JB Weld, actually. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. That's crazy that the transfer case itself cracked. Where did it crack at? Is that like a known spot for those to crack? Or is that just because the... Because like you hear like people put top like gear-driven Toyota cases and they blow input shafts in those all the time, but you don't hear any like case cracking issues even on the chain driven stuff so is it a common spot in jeeps or do you just think it was a fluke i you know i'm not really sure i couldn't find too much online of it happening to other people but it was in 
not a weird spot. It wasn't on the flash or casting line or anything like that on the draft line of casting. It was just a really small crack that looks like it kind of spider webbed out from just a random flat spot on the front of the case up near wow. where the drive shaft is. So really random. Um, I can tell you right now that the actual casings, like everything from like the transfer case casting and the transmission casting, all the casting parts on the Jeep are not nearly quality of a Toyota. Makes sense. Never looked at them. I guess. They're a little bit thinner and a little bit cheaper made on the factory parts. Right. Did you sell your hard top? You just pretty much ride year round with a soft top? Uh huh. Yeah. So, how's that in the coming into the winter months? Has it been cold enough down there yet where it sucks or is it all right? Well, I had the soft top on last year in February and it was fine. Okay. Even in like 20 or 30 degrees, the heaters in these. Uh, JKs are insane. So if you've been around JK much, you'll hear people talk about it, like burning their hands. But you put one hell of a heater in there, and you can adjust the heat on it all you want. It's just hot. Like you right. Hot no matter what, that's fine. They're not. It's not quiet by any means, with or without hard top or soft top. Once you start putting big tires and pull the carpet out and stuff. Right. Makes sense. So your JK, tell us a little bit about the setup on it. Um, I know some of it, but then it seems like you change stuff all the time when you first got it. So uh, tell us a little about suspension setup, gear, axle, tire setup, and then we can kind of go into your future plans with it also. Yeah, sure. I mean, the problem with the Jeeps is you can build them and there's always more you can do to them. I think Jeep might have like Wrangler specifically, it might have the largest aftermarket of any vehicle. Oh, I believe, I believe it. it. Yeah, totally. Learn that. Especially in the off-road scene. Yeah. Yeah, which can be a problem too because there's a lot of really cheap Chinese parts that you can pick up for these. Sometimes it can be a little hard to weed through, but there's a lot of really high-quality U.S.-made parts for these as well. Which, if you're going to be off-roading them, that's the way to go. Right. But yeah, um, yeah, mine when I bought it had a fair amount of stuff done to it but unfortunately i think it was kind of owned by a guy that um, mostly street drove it and wasn't aware that have to like keep up maintenance on aftermarket parts a lot more than a factory vehicle and if you take a it lot more. or whatever they're not going to do that work for them so right. i ended up replacing it had a lot of quality parts on it but a lot of it had just been like allowed to rot and fall apart so all the bushings and every control arms and bursies all the threading was done and the rear swing out gate on the bumper was about to fall off because the trailer bearings that are in the swing out arm were completely rusted out. And, oh, shit. Uh, a bunch of stuff that, yeah, you know, I know better too. Like you just don't buy an already modified vehicle because you don't know how right. someone cleaned them. And it's actually <laughs> how you meticulously maintained your FJ itself. And then you sold that and then bought the Jeep kind of hoping that it was maintained the same way. Because you think about it, all of us that, you know, actually off-road, I mean, you know when bushings start to fail or, you know, you change stuff and, you know, work on stuff enough, you can tell when stuff's starting to seize up or, like, even, like, on my front coilovers, I, you know, adjust, run them in and out a couple turns, you know, every few months to make sure the locking collars don't seize and stuff like that. And you kind of hope in the same turn that... uh you know, when you're buying a built rig that it's going to be taken care of in the same way, but clearly it's not. not. No, nah, you always expect other people to take care of stuff the same way you do, but I don't think they do. So. 
Right. I barely take care of my own shit, so I can't expect anyone else to take care of anything better than me. Because <laughs> yeah, you, that's did your you have... uh, coming from the, you know, it, it's a lot more built than my FJ was, which I think my FJ was kind of up there with, you know, some of the higher builds that a lot of guys in the FJ world do. I mean, there's always somebody who does a lot more, but as far as keeping in my FS without going long travel, I'd taken about as far as that goes, and. The Jeep was a lot more built than that, but in the Jeep world, it's a pretty mild build. So, you know, sitting on 37s um, on built factory Dana 44s, so I've got them trust and chromolies and sleeves and all that kind of good stuff. Um, uh, factory lockers on that, but I've got um, you know, some programming that allows me to, to lock it in two-wheel drive or four-wheel drive, four-high and stuff like that, which is sometimes useful. Uh, there's, I'm on long arm. I'm full long arms on that in front and rear. Um, although I think I'm going to three link the front, but uh, B blocks, 37s. Is it not I've got a up front like, already with the long arm kit? Is the long arm kit not no, three link? It's long arm four link. So. Oh, wow, that sucks. Yeah, I mean, it's actually kind of typical on these because you can get really long links in the front of the four doors and mm. they ride a lot better on the road or when you're trying to go fast off road. Which isn't really a thing, but it's yeah, better now. My first, he has I was, a pretty built JK yeah. himself. He has a, a, I think a thirteen or fourteen four door JK, and he's got Dana sixties and thirty sevens and all that king coilovers front and rear. And uh, I think I want to say he has the rock crawler kit or no Terraflex. I want to say it was three link up front, but I don't remember honestly. I know it's the four link with the panhard in the rear, and it's yeah, all right. I don't think it Somebody could correct me. I don't think Terraflex does a three-link long arm. I think they stick to four-link because they typically build them to go quicker, and the four-links are a little bit better at handling speed. Uh, the three-links get pretty flexy. But Yeah, I guess it kind of helps keep it all together, but four-link binds, which sucks. And when you're going fast constantly, like he's already had to re he's only had it for maybe two years now, and he's already had to replace all his bushings because we do a lot of go-fast desert stuff. And he just tears through those bushings and you know, he beats the hell out of it for being a solid axle vehicle. He drives it fast. Oh yeah. And you can do that with a coilover setups a lot better than a shock coil setup like I have right now. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's actually, he actually keep, I mean, I'm not long travel or I have like really high end suspension, but being IFS, it's way easier to go fast compared to the solid axle guys. And he keeps up. Definitely. He's not necessarily, he won't be faster than me, but he definitely keeps up no problem. But he has hydro bumps, coilovers, you know, all that good stuff. So he he runs it hard. It's fun. Yeah, for carrying speed, that was the best upgrade I did on mine was going with hydro bumps. So when I first bought it, I had so much travel in the front that you had to run quite a bit of a bump stop extension. And so when you come down on those, it was just, it'll rattle your brain out of your nose, man. It was hard. Like, oh, yeah. Concussion hits. So. Couldn't go very quick, so by putting hydro bumps on the front and rear, huge difference. That was probably one of the best modifications I've done for it, actually. And that's just, you know, for going, when you finish a hard trail and you've got a long drive out in Moab, which is sort of common for uh, going, like, down, you know, like, unmaintained access roads to get to campsites or whatever, having mm -hmm. being able to do those at more speed is worth every penny in a hydro bump, which isn't cheap. But Yeah, not just rattle your brains out the entire drive for an hour. Right. If you think about it, you have two wheels coming up. So if you have, unlike front suspension, where you can kind of get away with a non-hydro bump because you only have one wheel kind of bouncing into it harder than the other one, 
the energy is mm. it's both bills at the same time no matter if you hit a bump just on the right or left so. yeah it actually drives you know we're hitting a bump that's why it flexes so good over the rocks you know one side pushes the other side down because the way the spring yeah. setup is but ifs it doesn't do that so yeah definitely makes a big difference again that's why ifs is better for that stuff just not better for crawling right i agree what, with that. uh are you what long you're aren't you a teraflex long arm kit on yours i am yep and uh then what do you what's your kind of shock and spring setup look like so i have a teraflex long arm kit on it and uh which is a pretty good kit for the most part my only main complaint on that is they put the rear long arms on the bottom links the Link mount on a four door is pretty low and it's right at the breakover point. So I do get hung up on those quite a bit and I gotta be pretty mindful of those. Uh, the shock is a Falcon, which is also made by Terraflex and they're local to us here in Utah. And those are made right here and they're pretty beefy, but I've got a, they call them their six inch shock, but it's their longest shock. They're about 33.3 inch extended in the front and I think they're 33 inch in the rear. So pretty close front and rear. Um, a synergy. From their long travel brackets, but they just move the shock up and back because I pulled the shocks up really high on the rear axle. I cut off the factory mounts and welded on new ones up higher to uh, pull them off the ground because the shocks are the lowest point of the rear axle normally. So this brings them kind of level with the div. And then the uh, spring is just a Terraflex four inch spring. And that and the rear shock. Are being moved up too gives you more overall like travel you know from ride height gives you more up travel and stuff too correct well they'll get they actually lose up travel by moving the shock up right but you get more down travel but then i put some brackets uh, made by a company called synergy that moves the upper mounts upward into the body and back a little bit to recorrect the okay. joint so you gain your up travel right. back from those makes sense you just moved everything up it's not necessarily more travel you're just getting your shock out of the way yeah Gotcha. Now, how you've had pretty good luck with your 44s, even be, or being on 37s and 44s seems like about, you know, reliable enough. Have you had any, or I guess you did have problems with your rear uh, axles themselves, didn't you? Uh, I've bent the rear flanges a couple times. Okay. Which is pretty common on times. guys that hit. Factory Dana 44 is hard. Yeah. I mean, just on our, I just carry spare shafts. Like, carry. Uh, is there any upgrade three. options for the flanges to do like higher quality or gusseted flanges that so they don't bend? The, the chromolies, which I have, and that's about as good as it gets. Is that just a design flaw with the 44s? Um, or just because the flange is so small compared to the axle shaft that. Exactly. It's just where the they, they always kind of warp back in, and it's just because you have all that weight right on that flat plate of the axle shaft, and those are you know they're not a they're a full float axle. Right. Makes sense. So you've wheeled a lot in Moab. Um, I mean, nowadays you've pretty much. Do you think how? What's the percentage of trails you think you've actually ran in Moab? Uh, oh man, I, that's a hard one to answer. So there's like, I think officially. There's something like 80-something trails in Moab. Right. Wow. From like really easy trails that you may not even know you're on a trail to like the more hardcore stuff, right? Right. And I think there's actually a newer trail in the last few years called Rear Steer, which is now the hardest trail in Moab. It's pretty much like a buggy-only trail, so I don't think my JK will go on that. 
assuming uh, you have to have rear steer to go on that trail. <laughs> yeah, I'd recommend it. <laughs> have you but done Pritchett Canyon you, in your JK? Yeah, so I did Pritchett Canyon for the first time this spring. How was that? And uh, it was, it's a pretty gnarly trail. Yeah. How long? Is how it, many miles was that trail? Uh, shoot, that's a good question. I don't know. The, the actual trail is not super long. But then once you finish it, and I didn't know this, uh, you have to drive out. And it's basically um, this long road. Uh, I think on the trail map, it's officially called Picture Frame Arch, um, which is the easy route around another trail called Behind the Rock. That's a long drive. You have to drive that all the way out. So I spent probably, um, you're not moving faster for Pritchett Canyon because it's just obstacle after obstacle. There's never like a, a lot of Moab trails. You end up kind of like a metal masher is kind of a good one. You drive like a long time, then you hit an obstacle and you do it. And then you can drive it for a long time and you hit another obstacle. And there might be some optional ones that you can or can't do or whatever. But like Pritchett Canyon is just like, and the second you get on it, you're just dropping down and climbing up Relentless. and stuff the whole time. And then you get to like the, you climb up uh, the last hill called Yellow Hill. And then from there, it's a long drive out. I think we were probably well, almost twice as long just driving out of the canyon at that point. And you think, because you've ran a lot of the harder trails besides, obviously, uh, rear steer. Yeah, the buggy ones. Do you it, you're pretty confident Pritchett's is the hardest trail in Moab besides that one? Yeah, I would say out of all the classic trails in Moab, that's not. So there's a what's called area BFE, which is technically not in Moab. It's out of Moab, but it's actually shut down right now, so it doesn't technically exist currently. Um, we'll see what okay. happens in the future, and that has harder stuff for sure. But uh, in classic Moab, you know, stuff that's been set forever, Pritchett Canyon or Pritchard Canyon, depending on what book you're looking at. Same trail, by the way. Um, it's definitely the hardest trail that I think you can do. And I, I don't know if there's definitely trails that probably have harder obstacle on them, but as far as like the entire combined trail, I don't think you're going to get tougher than going through Pritchard. And it definitely has the highest rollover rate in Moab. Oh, yeah, I believe that. Yeah, you yeah, I've seen videos. It seems like I always see videos. Of it. Every, every time there's Easter Jeep Safari or something, there seems like to always be a video of a roll there. Yeah, I think the problem is like there's a. a one of the hardest parts is called Chewy Hill. And if you look at photos, it doesn't really look like much. And I think a big problem with that hill is a lot of Moab is really grippy. So the rock on it, you can do these pretty crazy obstacles. But I think uh, northern guys, especially, look at them on video or photo. And they're like, I don't know how you guys do that. Let's take down the wheel speed. But then you get out here, and it's like driving on sandpaper, and you just fall over it. But uh, Chewy is not that case. Like That is a slick hill. And it's off camber. Like the one and it's that got has like some, two humps in it. Well, yeah, it's got some pretty big, like little humps too that don't really show up. And you'll get some wheel speed and start sliding right on it. And it's a lot more steep on the right hand, like off camber way than you would think so. And you hit like mm -hmm. these little tiny bumps on the left wheel and you're trying to get some wheel speed and it pops you up and then you roll off. That one's pretty. And uh, I think a lot of people see that hill and they want to attack it like other similar hills in Moab. And then you suddenly don't have any grip and you start sliding to the right and then they try to gun out of it and then you roll over. So I tried to call it. That wasn't going to happen. I had to pretty much bump up that pretty good. And if you, you have to carry wheel speed because once you're on it, you have to like really commit, right? So if you can't bail out of it, so once you're on it, you got to just kind of carry wheel speed and 
Uh, hopefully it'll get enough traction to pull you to the top. If not, you're going to slide to the right. And you don't want to slide to the right. I saw. It looks like it's always dusty, too. It looks like it's always full sand and stuff. I've never been there, but it looks like it's always dirty. Like, no, well, that's, that's why you don't get so much traction. <laughs> well, no, oh. it's just because that rock just happens to have worn slick. So sometimes uh, waterfalls will... The, these All these hills are kind of called waterfalls in Moab. And uh, they're either eroded by water or by wind, right? And wind will usually mm -hmm. cut stuff with little edges. Like, if you look close at Moab rock, if you ever go in person... You'll see like little tiny, like almost little ledges in it. And that's what makes it really grippy because it's sandstone and then it has these little tiny ledges in it. But when they're cut mm -hmm. by water, it smooths out, right? Kind of like think about rocks in a creek, kind of more smooth. Makes sense. And I think uh, just yeah. the way it's had so many vehicles on it, the tires have worn them down. Hmm. Good to know. Yeah, it makes sense. It's Science. Slick hill. How long did it take you to run Pritchett's? Because you guys ran it with three Jeeps, right? Uh, there were four of us. Yeah, we had three JKs and then my buddy's uh, XJ, which is kind of cool because it's uh, it looks like just typical XJ, but it's pretty built out. And it's got so a XJ that's actually built pretty well. <laughs> that's that's of actually, it's a piece of shit dumpster fire, but you can build them pretty badass. Oh, boxes. Yeah. <laughs> and they have like uh, XJs are kind of well known in uh, Moab because they kind of have the perfect wheelbase for it. Makes sense. So they're not like a lot of the two door Wranglers stretch. They like to fall back on the steep stuff. The four doors like mine, they get hung up a lot. Our breakover point is really not great for a lot of ledge climbing in Moab. And the XJs are kind of land in the middle, you know, they're uh, perfect for it. So they're actually a really popular vehicle there. Sounds like you need a good LJ in your life. Yeah, stretched LJs and a ring king in Moab for sure. Yeah. yeah. I don't know Those how many stretched LJs goals. that I saw and can. Uh, when we were in Moab, but it was a lot. A lot. Um, Just get boners every time you see them? I know I do. I kind of. I have a real soft spot for an LJ in my heart. You know? I call yeah, it, one I, day one and cut the, the back end off. for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> when I see uh, when I see a stock Rubicon LJ anywhere, I'm like, hmm, owned by an old guy. It's like, yeah. Put me in your will for that, would you? Like, <laughs> right? So damn expensive, Not, though. That's the worst part about them is just they're so overpriced, but they're just such a good platform. Might as well just buy a four-door JK for the same price. Yeah, I actually have a yeah. coworker that had a really clean little LJ, completely stock, and uh, he sold it and bought a four-door JK. And I was like, no. Right? <laughs> yeah, I would even yeah, a non-Rubicon... LJ would even be worth it because you can do, you know, obviously put bigger axles and stuff underneath it, stretch it, coilovers, you know, anyway. So all you really need is the tub. I agree. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, my so. best friend, he, he had a uh, 06 Rubicon LJ or uh, yeah, LJ uh, Sahara edition had the five, the six speed trans or transmission. And that thing was like perfect condition. It was awesome. All stock really clean and he sold that damn thing and bought a gti instead i was so disappointed disappointing especially Very. a gti yeah <laughs> he, he regrets it but he had a long commute he was going to school and he was, had like a three-hour right. drive every day so Fuck he couldn't that. keep driving that thing yeah <laughs> right yeah so tyler you uh said that the rubicon is the easiest trail you ever ran right <laughs> 
Well, I think, okay, here's the thing, right? I, I don't want to, like, I think some people get, like, really into ego and willing, and I think it's kind of ridiculous because I think yeah, difficulty really just kind of comes down to, uh, it's all based on who's driving it and what kind of vehicle built you have. And I think I kind of pissed someone off because uh, before I ran Rubicon, someone told me, a few people had told me, like, oh, you're going to be stacking rocks and you're going to be winching a lot and 37 is too small for that. And, Et cetera, et cetera. So I was expecting it to be a lot more of a difficult trail for me. And uh, mm-hmm. I think on my Instagram, I had wrote something somewhere. Where I was like, oh, it was an easier trail than I expected. And somebody else who didn't have such a good time on that trail um, took that as me saying, hey, it's easier than it, it was an easy trail. And not, mm-hmm. I mean, it depends on like your vehicle and who you are. And also, I think that there's so many different optional lines and stuff there, too. So yeah, if you mentioned that, talking. Rubicon can make it through, and I think that's true, but it also depends when you run it. So, uh, I spoke driver. to, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, kind of, I spoke like Easter, like, um, Jeep Safaris, they do them here in Moab, it's a big thing, and they also do a big one on the Rubicon. But mm-hmm. those are so well put together that they prep the trails before the event, and they have spotters on every corner. and I think they could probably get like someone who's never even been in for a low through those just fine. And that's kind of the point of them. Uh, not my kind of thing, but I think for a lot of people, especially people that live in like flat states that have to travel for this, it's kind of neat for them. But mm-hmm. you don't really get that in the Toyota world too much, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, Rubicon yeah, is a lot quite. of fun. I mean, there's Marlin Roundup. That's about it. I think that's all I know. Okay. We were actually like on. Uh, yeah, we were actually on the Rubicon during the Marlin Crawler event. Oh, really? How was it? Was it a clusterfuck or was right. it actually pretty cool? Same weekend. No, it's really cool. There's a lot of really badass rigs and uh, some of the Toyotas. Are, and actually, it ended up being a good thing for us because one of the JKs I was with, he uh, tore the track bar bracket off of his axle. He had a hydro oh, assist on it, but only on 35s. And uh, he kind of got stuck on a pretty off-camber, kind of gnarly, pointy rock. And he did like a rail slide down it with his tie rod. And it bent the nice. arm on his hydro assist, but he didn't know it. So we tried to turn right, and all that power of the hydro assist not being able to close the arm uh, actually just put all that pressure into the track bar bracket, which with his uh, hydro assist was mounted on, and tore it right off the axle. Nice. So, uh, luckily, um, we were kind of that happened right around uh, Buck Island, and we were able to ratchet strap the axle center, and then kind of wrapped a whole bunch of ratchet straps around the uh, track bar mount bracket, and Got it all the way down, old sluice on its own power, uh, big sluice, right? Big sluice of its own power and into Rubicon Springs. And the uh, Marlin Crawler guy, one of the guys was there, he welded it on. They had an onboard welder and was able to uh, get the track bar bracket back on the axle and they took the hydro assist off and we drove all the way back to Salt Lake on those stick welds. Nice. nice. Uh, yeah. So you That's saw awesome. Josh's rig in person then, right? I did, yeah. His big, Huge. I I don't know what size tires he's running on that now, but he's got a silver FJ. You've probably seen pictures of it posted everywhere. Um, it's like a big monster. It's basically a buggy at this point. Huge axles and massive. LS. Yeah. And LS swap. And he's on the back of his like big, huge boy his, taller oh, thing. His semi that he towed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that I, thing I, I 
in person. It's gnarly. And it's funny because we were actually, um, you've probably kind of seen photos of it on Rubicon, but there's like a big V notch that you have to drive through. Right. And uh, we just finished that and we kind of pulled over to let these uh, couple cool Tacomas drive by. And uh, we were grabbing some drinks and kind of screwed around for a minute and I could feel the ground shaking. And I was like, man, some big, some big V8's coming around the corner. And here he comes, like, <laughs> on top of the V-arch. He's so wide that he wasn't in the V. He was on top of it. Yep. He comes up and over and around. And it's like, hey, that's uh, Josh. I know this guy. I've spoken to him on the FJ groups before. It's kind of a famous rig. So I went over and kind of looked at it. And he called me a traitor. So. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> he goes, hey, you driving the Jeep? I was like, yeah. And he's like, what happened to your FJ? And I was like, well, it's a Jeep now. He's like, ah, oh, you're a traitor. And I was like, yeah, well. To be fair, this isn't really an FJ. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's accurate. I'd rather, I think I'd rather have a JK. Honestly. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it was pretty, it's a, it's a I like Jeeps, extreme. too. Everyone thinks that because I like uh, IFS so much that I don't like Jeeps, but I actually have a real soft spot for Jeeps, too. Or hard spot, whatever they you call it. See, I got a big ego, so if I do something hard in an IFS FJ, I can be like, fuck you, I did it in an IFS FJ. If I did it in like, you know, Tyler's Jeep, then it, you know, I couldn't like, they're like, oh, well, you'll drive Any, a Jeep. Anyone can do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyone so fuck you, that. Tyler. Anyone can do it. <laughs> yeah, I have pride <laughs> in IFS. I like IFS. I mean, like, when, uh, when I did stuff in the FJ, it was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that in an FJ. But when you do it in the Jeep, everyone's like, yeah, Jeep. Yeah, you drive <laughs> right? a Jeep. Yeah, it's just, but it, it's super If you go cool. join like Facebook JK group, no one's doing that stuff. Right. <laughs> yeah, Same Jeep guys thing. are all talk, it seems like. I mean, for for yeah, Capita. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, Toyota guys are you. too. Most Toyota guys don't do shit. So, oh, yeah. I mean, it's the same. Toyota guys. They're, they're overlanders. They're not, they're not actual off-roaders where Jeep I guys pretend what... they're actual off-roaders <laughs> and they don't even take them out. Yeah, yeah there's some of um, the Jeep world too. Don't be confused. Yeah, I don't know what's <laughs> worse. You, I mean, you have, you know, your mall crawlers. So you got your, you know, 40 inch or 20, 40 inch tires with like 26 inch rims, you know, stupid offset stretch mud trains, your fucking grumpers and, you know, your aggressive <laughs> roof light bar mounts that tie into your grumper thing. Or you have Toyota Tacomas with, you know, that weigh 9,000 pounds with bed slides and fridges and rooftop tents and everything. And they both do the same thing. They both drive to the Mall of America. Um, but it's just like two ends of the uh, mall crawler spectrum. Same coin. Someone with a JK that, that is a overlander. And this particular person likes to go to Moab with us. And it's an okay-ish rig. Like they've got a... It used to have a rough country suspension on it, which flex like a shopping cart. You know, that thing was hilarious. It probably has less flex than like a stock right. <laughs> it, it, Less than a factory suspension. All it does is lift them and that's it. And they ride like garbage. But uh, they replaced that suspension and went with like a Airflex box shock setup. And it was a lot better. And, and they would literally like drive to Moab and get on something like a Poison Spider, which is a fun trail. It's, uh, the obstacles look harder than they are. So it's kind of oh, something yeah. fun to take people on for the first place because it's like, oh, it's impossible. And then you do it like 
with relative ease, depending on the rig, right? But um, they'll go on these trails and like go on these famous obstacles that is going to be people are going up and down all day, and then they open their rooftop tent and take a photo for Instagram <laughs> on a poison spider <laughs> obstacle, and then they go yeah. sleep at the hotel. <laughs> oh my god! You yeah, were telling me one day. Tyler, weren't you hiking somewhere down there and someone was setting up their tent and you're like, no, you can't, you can't camp here. You're not allowed to camp in this area. And they're like, no, we're not camping. We're just taking a picture. And you're like, okay. <laughs> yep, that happened in Arches National Park. So. <laughs> oh, I love it they do some so funny much. Stuff. And that happens quite a bit down I think the really famous one is uh, in the Toyota world, especially as you'll see um Top of the World. And you guys know that photo, right? It's where they've got that big That's where people egg. hang off their bumpers. Yeah. Yep, exactly. I have that photo. Uh, people love to park on the end of that and set up their tent. There's no way they you're... Set up their tent? <laughs> yeah, set yeah, up their rooftop park tent. On the end of like, Top of the World, and they'll open their rooftop tent and pretend like they're camping there. Wow. Stupid. Okay. You know, yeah, I'm gonna have I to have get, to say, I'm gonna go there and do my modeling career. Do do some modeling yeah, up there. Yeah, there you go. You can get back into your Instagram modeling. Um, you yeah. should. Yeah, Oh, my wife that. sent me a. I have to post it. My wife sent me a picture of another picture that she had of me modeling. I don't remember okay. when. It was a long time ago. So I might have to dig through that text message pictures and post it for you. That would look. I think it'll be good. You know, you're getting your. You're working yeah. your way up there. I think. Oh yeah, yeah. definitely. Sooner or later, just a few, a few more likes until I, you know, get free trips to, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna go to Moab first. I'm, you know, if my sugar daddy lets me. Yeah, exactly. As long as is, <laughs> will your wife be okay with you leaving her for a sugar daddy? As long as you know she gets some kickback off of it. I would assume so. Yeah. We'll she gets to, a kick. Uh, we'll have to see. Uh, my wife would be completely down with that. <laughs> Steven, your wife posted a picture the other day of your son crying or something because she woke him up from a nap or he needed a nap or something and i was like wow it looks just like his dad and i have to admit i was pretty proud of that one um yeah so you're you're welcome he, yeah, he definitely does he's a little <laughs> asshole too just like his dad right <laughs> so tyler what else let's back a little bit more about comparing the fj to the jk um it is kind of hard because your jk is a lot more built than your fj was but you went from a manual fj to an auto uh jk how was that did you much prefer the you know overall the auto over a manual yeah actually that was your fault you're welcome <laughs> um, out and uh you know it was kind of fun trevor and a couple other guys came out and did moab and i got to take him through it and it was our first trip out and we had a really good time but you know as uh, at that time his rig was a lot closer to what mine was it's not what his is today and he was crawling things with so much slower wheel speed and control than i could do in my manual and it, it was like I'm so done with this manual thing and stalling it out on really steep lines and not being able to you know, one thing about uh, FJs is they're like hot tubs, right? So they're not. I think that, I think a few people know they're not great for visibility. Right? You can't see out of them all that well. Correct. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Hence, <laughs> the like, whole time in the lab, I did not have doors on. 
Yeah, which helps a lot. It's like tube doors or not having doors. But if you have a manual, you've got to keep your foot in the vehicle so you can't lean out of it the same. Right. Like a good view. And stuff. So being able to like kind of slowly pull your way up, which is the the right kind of way to wheel Moab. A lot of the out of state guys will come and, and just try to like gun it up everything buggy style and break stuff the whole time. But Moab is grippy, so you can, you know, everything's about like slow controlled wheel speed and you can like control that off camber stuff. Uh, yeah, going from manual to automatic makes all the difference in off-roading, and I don't think you'll ever change my mind on that. Maybe if you had like a dual cases, stack boxes, dual cases, or four speed, where you don't even need to use the clutch at all, and you can put that in gear and it'll crawl itself. I think that would probably even it out. But for yeah, mile built on a single transfer case, I think you're gonna having automatic versus manual can make a big difference. And I was still on stock gearing on 35s in my FJ too. First thing I did when I bought the JK was put deeper gearing in it. You went 513s or 538s or something? 513s on it, yeah. yeah. All right. With a 4 to 1 transfer case, though, that's pretty low. 513s, 4 to 1 on 37s, it's got to be so nice. Yeah, like there's a speed, pro ratio. Idle up some pretty steep stuff, pretty much. It's yeah. awesome. Do you have a, because you're not hydro assist yet, right? Nope, that's coming up pretty soon, I think. And so you, uh, with your front locker on, is it a pain in the ass to turn for you still? Yeah, I think you and I were talking about that the other day. Oh, yeah, so, we were. The differences between having a front locker on like an IFS vehicle is you typically are trying to use it less just to make sure you don't put more stress on CVs and tie rods, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And like uh, with IFS too, I think a lot of the guys with front lockers, they'll keep the wheel straight if you turn it that's where you start breaking stuff yeah if i, I stay don't have away, that yep. if i stay away from full like obviously you can go to full lock if i keep it you know like a half a turn off a of full lock i don't have any issues both times i broke cvs i was at full lock and full droop on the side that i broke them tyler may or may not have been there for one of those um i was there <laughs> i break cvs the- doing all kinds of stuff not even no i've never loading. seen a guy straight straight right almost straight not like full lock but you know not straight either and not like super flexed out and i've just broken them just trying to get the front wheels to climb through shit yeah. stock cvs on the third gen 400 suck dick <laughs> yeah so the third like gens... how many servers done this but i i think when he he were on poison spider actually and there's pretty there is a, a pretty difficult optional line like really early in the trail and Trevor goes up this and he turns his front lock around and he's got this thing on lock and he's trying to pull through and he yeah, uh, uh, just exploded the CD bearings all over the ground. Yep. So we kind of luckily there's a little pullover point not too far from there. So we all kind of circle the rigs and uh, I get in the back of mine to get some tools out to help him. And by the time I even get over there, he's got the CD out. I think he he was like less than 20 minutes from the time that he parked it till we were like back and forth. Oh, Mark I don't claimed know I that it was uh, 18 minutes, but I'm not 100 percent sure if that was it true. Was quick, but. It was funny because Tim's like, yeah, I've replaced him enough. I know how to uh, got that down. (laughs) It was so funny because I was, we were just on the access road too. And I was like, I'm going to try this. And then it started to climb out of it. And as soon as it started to climb, it just broke. But you could hear the, in the previous day when I was in the escalator, I was like backing up and going forward. You could hear it popping. Like, and then I didn't realize it beforehand. And yeah, kind of 
signed it. So oh, it, was already, it was already shot. Uh, yeah, it was. It cage must have been cracked or something, and then it just first climb the next day, it just let go. But, well, and that was an O'Reilly sure. CV too, right? It was, yeah. Yeah, so it wasn't like a factory one, which I think are stronger anyway. So you had put that thing through quite a bit of stress on quite a few trails before we even went to that point. Yep. There is. I don't have that issue. Full one ton steering in mine, and I can lock that front locker and put that thing in full lock and gun it up an obstacle and it's going to hold right. um, the U-joints at this point. And, uh, I've got some pretty good U-joints in it. I haven't actually broken one yet, but I've gotten close. I've heard those things kind of cry in pain. Right. But yeah, the biggest thing is in Moab, you'll, a lot of times you'll be on a steep climb and you don't know what's on the other side of it. If it's a new trail you haven't ran before. And a lot of times you can get to the top of a climb and have to make a really tight turn. And uh, if I'm front locked without hydro, if I'm like six pounds of air on a 37 inch tire and it's an MTR and they're really grippy and the ground's grippy, there's no turning that thing. And oh, yeah, I'm sure. Airlock. It's an electronic locker, so I have to, when I hit the button, you know, it takes a minute for it to unlock and you have to roll on it. And sometimes you don't get that option and it'd be like, oh man, and with like a, sitting there trying to turn that thing, but I, there's no way. Yeah. You'd have to like roll back a little bit, let it disengage. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, really, the JK lockers, the factory lockers, don't like to disengage unless you disengage it and then let the wheel go and just drive straight for a second. <laughs> Which sounds easy, but if you're in a situation where you've got to make a tight turn, that's not easy to do. So sometimes I won't use the front locker um, unless I have to just to make sure I can steer when I'm done with an obstacle. Yeah, there's mm. been. Yeah, I do the same thing with my ARB. That's the one nice thing about the ARB, at least that I've noticed. If I'm like in a rock garden and I'm trying to reposition and like go to full lock and back up and then pull forward and then go to full lock again, like just turning to full lock can be hard, you know, with wheels bound up and shit, obviously. So I'll be like going up uh, the obstacle. And if I want to back up, if I just like, like start to pull forward a little bit to get a little bit of forward bite. If I click the locker off and then let off the gas and let it roll back, it'll disengage and then I can uh, do all of that. And it's, you know, the ARBs are super fast. The rear locker, e-lockers on Toyota suck ass, but. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think the JK ones are any better, to be honest. I mean, they're a good locker. They always, they're reliable, but uh, just the disengage on them is slow, but they do engage really fast. So say, do they I've, lock I've up pretty quick? Real quick, yeah. Like, I've had times when I've been uh, needed the front locker room and sliding off stuff and lock it immediately. Uh, speaking of which, that's another thing between the FJ and the JK, where I think the FJ definitely wins is on the again on the wheelbase. So at the four-door JKs have a really long wheelbase, and the breakover point on them is not as good as FJs at all. But there's some stuff that I used to come to Moab and be like some big ledge climbs and just walk them, and the JK hangs up, and I got to take it pretty off camber, which it has the front flex to handle, so it's fine. But I can have to attack him a little bit more of an angle to not get the middle of the frame stuck on it. Do you remember Even the base on, on the uh, JKs? They're like... Internet will tell you. Okay. As I say, I think the JKs are like 115 or 116 or something like that. And I think an FJ is like 106 or 108, I can't remember. Yeah, they're definitely smaller. I want to say the four door is one sixteen. Some cheap guy there is probably going to correct me on that. Right. It's okay. It's uh, 
we don't have any Jeep guys that listen to us besides you anyway. Listen to you every week. Yeah, I know. That's, that's <laughs> just you. I think this is episode four, not episode three. Did I say three? This is episode four. This is episode four. Why sure. didn't you correct me? Now everyone's going to be confused. God damn <laughs> Tyler, you had one job. <laughs> I didn't even hear that, so thanks for catching it. Yeah, just shows that uh, Tyler's a better listener to our own podcast than we are. Yeah, you guys well, we are better listen to it. We just, we just keep talking. Yeah, I just <laughs> talk aimlessly, and sometimes we end up talking about dildos, and sometimes we end up talking about actual wheeling stuff. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think you're. A bump, I think the Durabunk guy should totally make a bump stops in the shape of a dildo. I think that'd be hilarious. Maybe if he made Jeep bump stops, they would all just be dildo shaped because they're a little bit longer too. Go inside the yeah, <laughs> go inside the coil bucket, and it's just a dildo. That'd be awesome. He's got a real good market there. He does, and a lot of the Jeep guys would run it too because they think the you know trendsetters, you know. It's all right. Yep. Hell yeah. So what else, Tyler? What else do you want to tell us? Oh, yeah. I think some of the other nice things about the Jeep compared to the FJ2 is, uh, especially Moab, I mean, Jeep's just kind of reign supreme there, right? They've always, like, it's just been the promised land for Jeep forever. Right. So there's a lot more, like, I have a lot more friends that are driving Jeeps, and parts are a lot easier to get in Moab. Mm, I think you can break just about anything on a JKU, and get a part in town. Um, Dixie 4x4 is there. There's actually a lot of Jeep companies in Utah. Yeah, so getting parts is really easy. Right. Good pricing, too. And, uh, it is kind of fun to experience Moab. I mean, this is going to sound like real cliche on the Jeep side, but throw the doors off and take the top off. and That's a great way to, to wheel Moab, for sure. Until you have, like you have a little buggy when you get home, but uh, it's all right. <laughs> well, it's not really any worse than having just the windows down all the time. I, mean, I, I drive with the windows exactly. down every time I'm off-roading. Yeah. Unless the kids are like, Dad, roll the windows up. But typically, I just leave the windows down the whole time. Oh, another kind of funny story about the half... I have a half-doors on mine. So like on the FJ, I actually had tube doors, which is fun. And then uh, I have half-doors on the JK, which is like a tube door, except for all your shit doesn't fall out, which is nice. <laughs> I think there's this... On a, Big sluice, there's what's called the slide tree, and it's kind of a tough little skinny spot where you got to straddle between a tree and a big rock and then another big rock, and you've got to have kind of a, if you're too wide of a wheelbase, you climb the back of the tree, which I experienced, but um, when your back tire starts climbing up the tree branch, it really tipped my Jeep into the rock on the right-hand side, and to clear that, I had to take the door off. It was super easy, and I just jumped out and actually pulled my half door off so that I could lean the rock inside the cab. As I did that, um, I threw my door on a rock on accident, kind of slipped, <laughs> trying to save it. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> so you tried to save your door, but then you dropped it? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't like just drop it, but I like threw it. <laughs> They're plastic with like a steel frame, so they don't weigh anything. I just like threw the door. <laughs> Tyler, cool. when I was in Moab, you know, the standard triflow uniball fucking container thing. I was uh, turning out of the gas station and it goes shooting, rolling out of my truck onto the street, across the street, onto the curb. And the guy, guy standing there and I stop and he runs it back over to my truck that was standing there on the sidewalk. And I was like, yep, that is uh, 
benefit of having no doors. That the same thing happened in EFJ with the tube doors on when with my cell phone. <laughs> oh. right hand cell phone went flying out and someone came running it back to me and I was like, oh shit, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I think half door is gonna get a win on that. Oh yeah, for sure. I've always I thought about like putting sheet metal on the bottom of my tube doors like you know halfway up them so you know even because like if you go through puddles and shit with the tube doors too you get all sorts of water inside the truck too like off just spray off the front tires mud and shit it's deep so uh, it gets water in it no matter what well there's that <laughs> does your soft top leak at all uh i don't think the actual soft top leaks but i think the door seals leak mm. Yeah, I, I just uh, it's gonna rain. I just pull the four plugs out of the ground and go inside. Makes sense. Takes care. Yeah, there's always like gonna be water and stuff in it. That sucks. Thing. I guess mine always. Mine does too. I never sealed my <laughs> my tub wheel wells, so I get water in mine all the time too. Yeah. See, that's why I sealed mine into my engine bay, and everyone is like, "Why'd you seam seal your wheel wells for your engine bay?" I'm like, "Well, so I don't get water in my engine bay either," you know. Still way over. I don't have any wheel wheel liners in mine it's, anymore. It's true. It's true. Um, I also have not hit any puddles yet either. Yeah. It's just because you have a hack to it's shit. Just like some wet dirt. Okay. Hack to shit third gen, and I live in SoCal, so we don't get water really ever. Third gen. So, workers. you know, yeah, um, it worked out pretty well. So, I mean, that's pretty much it. I think the biggest thing we learned here today is that Tyler is a trader. He has his JK for sale if anyone wants to buy it. Um, he is looking for another FJ. Um, so if you have... We also learned Jeeps Jeeps are probably better for off-roading than Toyotas. Yep, probably. <laughs> you could uh, say that. Um, if you... I don't know. That is a hard... Unless you're going to build... A, unless you're going to build a vehicle from scratch, you know, all new shit, then a Toyota is a decent platform because you right. get reliability and stuff. But unless you're, if you're going to just put 10 grand into it, Toyota is probably not the best option. Yes, for sure. If you're trying to crawl. Yep. If you're trying to go fast, then don't buy a Jeep. Yeah, rock crawling, especially the kind of rock crawling I do, uh, Moab stuff. I mean, solid axles are probably always going to reign supreme. Yes. Probably in that kind of Long stuff. Step. But Long yeah, step. it just depends on. From out of state with like, you know, stock sports or Saharas or even Rubicons, and, and they don't really flex any better than a Toyota factory, rarely. Mm -hmm. You need to put you know, long yeah, shocks true. on it, bumps correctly, and, and do a little bit of work to get that stuff and you know, get rid of your big fenders. I am excited right. to come back and wheel together, but it seems like by the time I'm actually able to get back there and wheel together, that you're going to be on 60s and 40s, so we'll see. Um, if I, yeah, well, so then, I then maybe cool. I'll be able to keep up with them because by the okay. time that happens, I'll hopefully be on 39s or 40s and not 60s, but 60 hubs. <laughs> well, that that might be plan. Um, so it sounds like if that does happen, I'm not going to be friends with Tyler anymore. Um, so someone can fill that. Uh, go ahead. I'll, I'll jump in there. I'll, I'll fill yeah, the void if you want to. Uh, well, I still need friends to tow me out when it breaks down. Oh, right. Because that Jeep reliability makes sense. Yeah, so if you're looking to sell your FJ, um, Tyler's looking. It's Tyler Takes Photos on Instagram. Um, yeah, you can go ahead and hit him up there with your FJs for sale. Or if you want to buy a JK, um, he is selling his for $10,000.
um go ahead and <laughs> wow yeah Old. yeah it's a uh good deal on that um hopefully oh and another little bit of news uh steven did finally order his rooftop tent from uh uh cvt so go ahead and uh wait for that um steven, and a fridge and, and a fridge. fridge and he got his fridge on the way um so that will be nice uh for him he is Early. going to get that and then burn it when it shows up um <laughs> tribute uh our next hopefully <clears throat> one of our next guests that we're gonna have on here um let me read a quote from them when i was uh asking them if they could record it this time and i thought this was funny um let me scroll back through my uh messages here if i actually can they said quote that uh we have real jobs. We're not overlanders, so we actually have to work. And I said uh, that uh, he should uh, have his wife dress in shorter shorts that are too small, and they could, uh, you know, do the whole modeling thing like Steven is doing. So they're going to try that, and then hopefully we can get them on here sooner. Um, I'm still not going to say who it is, just in case it doesn't happen anytime soon we're just gonna have to change our schedule our recording schedule to yes. work around their schedule yep is what it sounds like which i'm okay with yep not everyone we just gotta figure out time works do what i did and record with you guys while i'm at work yep that's what tyler I i'm at work too but i'm just in the parking lot <laughs> yeah. but i have my own time so <laughs> i am currently sitting on a couch in my living room with no pants on so uh Wow, man, I wish we were Skyping right now. I know. You guys are the ones that are missing out. Uh, yeah, you need to start recording these online. Right. I was going to make YouTube videos out of it. If it makes you guys feel better, Stephen, the four episodes that we've been doing this, I have not worn pants for any of them. So. Wow. So, I am jealous. Fun fact about me. I was hoping you guys were I'm wearing, the same. But... I'm wearing khakis. Oh, nice. Is your name Jake? Yeah. You work for State Farm? No. Okay. That was khakis and pearl snap shirts. That was a uh, shot. My, my go-to shot and a miss. You know, when you're in your work attire, you kind of look like an overlander because you have your mustache and everything too. So I'm just saying. My, my mustache is overlander. Yeah, that's you know, you know, most overlanders have know. like long heard... beards and mustaches and stuff because they're hipsters. Drinking their ass. Oh, they wear. I haven't I haven't shaved off my mustache like off off since I was nineteen. Nice. I just never did it. I just don't want to get into it. I mean, there's no reason. Women have no mustaches. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm confused at the correlation, but I'll go with it. <laughs> I I just I need a mustache. I mean, men have mustaches and women don't. That's that's how you can not confuse me for a female. <laughs> Yeah, this is actually the first year I've not been a female. I, I haven't. I'm 34 now <laughs> to grow a, a mustache, and I have never been able to up until this age. So you are now a man. It took me actually it took not me a female. long time. I thought that I was able to grow a mustache at 19, and then looking back at pictures, that was not a mustache. <laughs> it took me another few years before it turned into an actual mustache. <laughs> so you mean to tell me that that's why you sold the FJ, because you became a man? I did, yeah, and I had to. Um, oh. I actually sold it because it was um, making a bunch of noise on the throughout bearing, like manual FJs mm -hmm. do. Um, 
real and I wanted real quick, oh. Tyler. Uh, you had a GX four seventy for some time, correct? Mm. Yeah, and, that thing was uh, terrible. Yes, that's just what I wanted, and uh, we can go ahead. The FR locked has ended as a podcast. This is the last episode. Um, that's all I needed to hear in my life is that GX four seventies are terrible. Uh, all right, well that's a wrap. Yep. 470s. FJs are better than GX470s. You heard it from a guy who's had an FJ, a Jeep, and a JK. So, FJ, did I say FJ Jeep? A Jeep is a JK. And a JK. You know what? Fuck it. It's the last episode ever of the podcast anyway, so we don't have to... Uh, it's, it's ep- Except for next week when we have a special guest, hopefully. Yes, hopefully. But yeah. Yeah. But for now, it's the last podcast, guys. Like what you did with the place? Yep. It was nice. This was a good episode 3 2.0. This is episode three three point two point two so um cool. yeah all right well at that point let's call this a wrap because i have shit to do well fucking steven <laughs> you act like you have a real job <laughs>